If you're looking for a down-to-earth show about mental health, psychology, empowerment, and self-improvement with someone who's not only relatable, but super experienced and super educated, then you're in the right place. Qualified. Qualified. This is the Skelton Report, and this is your host, Mark Nathaniel Skelton. Welcome to the Skelton Report, a podcast for the people. Uh, We have a great episode today. We're going to be doing a case study. But before we get started, just want to give you a warm welcome. Hope all is well your way. Things are going pretty good this way. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, my Sans, Ryan Danley. He has a great uh, podcast, Danley and Friends. Go check that out. Uh, It's on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Got to give him a shout out. He gave me some... uh, uh, materials for the podcast show, Mike and Arm. So, shout out to Danley. That was some love. Also, we reached our goal of getting 100 students, actually over 100 students, enrolled for the month of July 2021 in the uh, in my Udemy course. Uh, it's an e-course on Udemy. It's titled "Coping with Depression for Minorities." Uh, you know, give you some insight on you know what. Depression is from a clinical standpoint, as well as maybe some treatment options that are available to those of us in the community. And, you know, maybe a little brain based information on uh, how depression affects the brain. If interested in anything like that, uh, I'll put the, the link to the course in the description and you can enroll yourself. I got to keep my word. I'm donating $100 for 100 students to a uh, black mental health cause or organization. The one that I chose is the one that we just got started. The Kansas City Association Black Psychologist Student Circle. I'm a member and um, I'm actually going to invite uh, the other members of the organization on. We're going to have a, a podcast here soon. So make sure you tune in that. We're going to talk about our experiences. Uh, you know, black students um, got some great Great people coming on. They're going to talk about their experience as well. And some of the events and things that we got planned. So make sure you tune into that. Um, let's go ahead and get started uh, with today's episode. <clears throat> I'm going to apologize up front. I think I picked up a little cough over the weekend. I'm fully vaccinated, but, you know, bear with me. I got the, my tea with me um, as we work through this clinical case. So, What we're going to do is we're going to talk about a particular case. This is Crystal Smith, and uh, this is from the DSM-5 clinical cases. And what this book is, is an adaptation from here. It's going to, it presents patients that exemplify mental disorders. And so I thought it was cool because it'll give us a, a great opportunity, a practical opportunity to look at some original cases and um, kind of, we're going to walk through the symptoms that they're presenting, you know, a little synopsis on their lifestyle and help, you know, understand their diagnosis and have a little discussion at the end. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into this one. Um, we're going to look for some clues and I'll just, we'll walk through this. This will be like an exegesis. We'll walk through this. I'll highlight some main points so you can get a better idea some of the uh, red flags and you know pertinent information from this individual's life so let's go ahead and get started we got crystal smith she's a 33 year old african-american homemaker she came 
to an outpatient clinic seeking someone to talk to about feelings of despair that intensified, so increased over the previous eight to 10 months. She was particularly upset about a marital conflict and uncharacteristic mistrust of her in-law. So right here, we have the presenting problem. There's some information we can highlight out of here that's gonna be important. We have a female, we have an African-American, take note of her age group. She's, she's seeking outpatient help, so that lets us know that's not necessarily crisis. If you listen to a couple episodes uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the different mental health settings that individuals can go to. Outpatient means that it's she's not staying overnight. So this is more of a facility or more so an agency or community health or private practice that she's seeking. Um, <clears throat> or, you know, clinic. So let's continue a little more. Uh, this next paragraph gives us a little more insight about her symptoms that will lift up. So Mrs. Smith said she had begun to wake up before dawn, trouble sleeping, feeling down and tearful. So we have some emotions. She had difficulty getting out of, out of the bed and completing her usual household activities. At times she felt guilty for not being her usual self. And at other times, uh, she became easily irritated with her husband and her in-laws for minor transgressions. So a little ir irritability there. She had previously relied on her mother-in-law to assist with her children, but has no longer entirely trusted her uh, with the responsibility. That worry, in combination with her insomnia, trouble sleeping and fatigue, made it very difficult for Mrs. Smith to get her children to school on time. This is a big red flag because her symptoms, which we're seeing, are now beginning to interfere with her daily life in a significant manner. And that's a hallmark of uh, mental health concerns is when it starts to, when you're sleeping, your sadness, like everybody feels these things, tiredness, but when it starts to interfere with your daily living, that's when it may be time to seek professional help. So in the past few months, she had lost 13 pounds without dieting, which is also very important. When you're not trying to lose weight or gain weight and you are, that's another sign of mental illness, mental health concerns or health concerns that you should get checked out. She denied current suicidal ideation, saying she would never do something like that, but acknowledged having thought that she should just give up and that she would be better off dead. So suicidal ideation is having thoughts of suicide uh, there's levels to it we can see that she's more you know at the beginning levels like wishing she was was dead but it doesn't sound like she actually has a plan or intent to carry anything out so that's something that you want to keep in mind when you're thinking about that um, dimension of mental health two months once again which will be assessed basically at every intake and in throughout treatment. So that's something to keep in mind. Two months previously, Mrs. Smith had seen a, a, a psychiatrist for several weeks and received um, phylaxetine, which is an SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. I believe this is actually Prozac. So we're talking about medication here. Um, she reluctantly gave it a try. That's important discontinuing it quickly because it made her feel tired. 
She'd also dropped out of therapy, indicating that the psychiatrist did not seem to understand her. All right, so keep that in mind, okay? Got some cultural implications going on here. We don't know what was at play, race, gender, socioeconomic status, but for some reason she didn't feel understood, and this is very, very important as a client or patient and for a therapist to be aware of. Mrs. Smith lived with her husband of 13 years uh, and two they had two school age children. Her husband her husband's parents lived next door and she said her marriage was good although her husband suggested that she go see someone. So once again people are starting to notice uh, their concerns for Crystal. So let's see. Where are we at? Okay, yeah. And that she was yelling at everyone all the time. So we can see this irritability. Historically, she was sociable. Um, uh, well, historically, she rarely talked to her own mother and sister, and much less her friends. A regular churchgoer, she had quit attending because she felt her faith was weak. Her pastor had always been supportive, but she had not contacted him with her problems because he wouldn't want to hear about these kinds of issues so we have that in quotes i think this is important too because we can see that a little depression surfacing you know she's pulling away from her social connections um uh, it's also important to see that um, there's an intersection of faith counseling which may be important <coughs> excuse me also, um, <clears throat> I think it's important for church leaders to become aware of mental health resources to better understand some of the patterns and the languages and possibly be a support in making referrals uh, to mental health providers. So let's keep it moving. Mrs. Smith decide, uh, described herself as Having been an outgoing, friendly child, uh, she grew up with her parents and three siblings. She recalled feeling quite upset at the age of 10 and 11 when her parents divorced and her mom remarried. So I know there's, you know, the stereotypical going in the, in your past. and But, you know, through a lot of my trainings, I've learned there's a lot of touchstone moments. There's a lot of defining moments that have occurred in individuals lives when they're children you got to keep in mind um, historical trauma especially as a child people are very vulnerable and fragile at these ages and still developing psychologically so some of these once again traumas that happen can have a big significant impact the past can still be in the present as I learned in my EMDR training so because of fights with other kids at school, she met with her school counselor with whom she felt a bond. See, she felt a bond with her counselor as a child, but it seems like that isn't reproduced as she gets older in meeting with the providers now. Um, unlike the psychiatrist she had recently consulted, Mrs. Smith felt the counselor did not get into her business and helped her recover. So these are, these are important things to consider as a provider. And, when you as a, a as a patient or a client are looking for therapists 
She said she became quieter as she entered junior high school with fewer friends and little interest in studying. She married her husband at age 20 and worked in retail sales until the birth of their first child when she was 23 years old. So we have a little history of counseling, which may be important to find out what that experience was like and how, you know, what was good, what was not good about it to to learn the different advantages and, and work in the best interest of the client. Mrs. Smith had not used alcohol since her first pregnancy and denied any use of illicit substances. So that's the fancy word for street drugs. And she denied past and current use of prescribed medications other than the brief trial of the antidepressant medication that she reported. She reported also generally good health. So these are <clears throat> other demonstrations of hope and protective factors. The fact that she has, you know, well, we don't necessarily know what her coping skills are, but we know that they're not using drugs per se, which is a good thing. So she has some self-efficacy. Um, <clears throat> these are all self-reports. Once again, excuse me. And um, as a provider and as us listening, we just have to trust that she's telling the truth and that she's not using drugs and trusting, you know, that she's not using the antidepressant. She doesn't, she's pretty upfront about that and reporting that she has good health. On the mental status examination, uh, Mrs. Smith was a uh, casually groomed young woman who was coherent and goal-oriented. That's a good thing. So she wasn't disoriented. You know, she dressed for the occasion. So she's in her right state of mind for the most part. That's what these mental status examinations show. Um, she had difficulty making eye contact with the white middle-aged therapist. So once again, we, we're seeing the importance of culture and diversity in our trainings and schools and when deciding a therapist to work with. She was cooperative but mildly, guard, mildly guarded and slow to respond. She needed encouragement to elaborate on her thinking. She was periodically tearful and uh, generally had an appearance of sadness. She denied psychosis, so that means hallucinations or delusions. And although she reported occasionally feeling mistrusted, uh, mistrustful of her family, um, I would like to know a little more about that if I was working with her. Uh, it seems to be something that's throughout this case study. And also she denied confusion, hallucination, um, suicidality, and um, being homicidal. Her cognition, so the way she's thinking and her insight and judgment were all considered normal. So from this case study, and you can see some of the clues, that she was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, moderate with uh, melancholic features. Melancholic features, my fault. And we will uh, talk a little bit about that later in our discussion and what that means. So Mrs. Smith presents with 8 to 10 months of persistently depressed mood and an inability to feel any pleasure, poor sleep, 
Uh, she dismissed appetite, oh, a diminished appetite with weight loss and a lack of energy and thoughts of death. Not once again, not thinking about carrying it out, but that thought is there. And so with these symptoms in themselves, she meets the criteria and the requirements, five of nine symptoms for major depression. The case study says that there's no evidence that the symptoms are caused by substance or another medical condition, which is very important when determining a diagnosis. Because when you think about it, there's a difference between an individual seeing things or hallucinating just within themselves in their life or hallucinating or seeing things from using um, a psychedelic drug. You see what I'm saying? There's a big difference there. So if you if you're hallucinating, a provider, a medical professional needs to know: is it because of drug use, or you know other medicines that you're using, or is it maybe from just your life growing up, genetics, um, trauma? So that's a very big distinction. So for her, she has denied illicit drug use. So we know that she meets the criteria of major depression, and, and it's not substance induced. She's distressed and dysfunctional to an extent that warrants clinical attention. Remember, and how we know that it's it's beginning to interfere with her life. So I want you to think about yourself or people you know. Once again, this is just uh, an attempt for us to get a better idea of understanding how mental ser- mental health services work. So she therefore meets the criteria for DSM five major depressive disorder. In addition. Uh, this uh, clinical case book highlights that Miss Smith has classic melancholic features. And this means she reports loss of pleasure in almost all activities, describes a distinct quality of depressed mood, characterized by profound uh, despair. Um, it's, regularly, it's regularly worse in the morning and has had significant weight loss and a feeling of excessive guilt. So these are, you know, more sub features of depression that helps categorize what she's dealing with. And once again, these all help us un- better understand what type of treatment is needing is needed. You need a diagnosis, just like with a car, you take a diagnostics test, find out what's wrong. So you know what is needed, you know, is it an oil change? You need to change the tires, you need a new engine, all that. So that's kind of what the diagnostic manual does for mental health mrs smith's irritability is prominent irritability may be more readily endorsed than sadness so meaning it seems like she's more irritable than she is sad especially by african-americans among whom psychiatric stigma is high so this is once again culture plays a major role in the acceptance and the expression of mental health so, you know, there's a lot of articles that I'm reading through my particular studies now where we're learning that Asian cultures may express depressions a certain way. Caucasian may express depression or mental health a certain way. African-Americans may um, accept or express mental health concerns in, in different ways. So that's something, once again, not every it's not cookie cutter. Everybody has their own way of expressing. And then there's even subcultures within cultures. So. This is something to keep in mind. Historically, there has been a stigma with <clears throat> psychiatric services 
with an African-American community. I think that's important to keep in mind as a provider. And we can see that this is highlighted in this case study. A complaint of irritability can be part of mania or hypomania. And so when we say mania, um, we're talking about extremely elevated and excitable moods, usually associated with bipolar, and that's from the Mayo Clinic. But in Mrs. Smith's case, she lacks the symptoms of mania. Also, an important depression specifier is whether major depressive disorder is single episode or recurrent. Recurrent means it's chronic and it's continuing. It's not clear whether Mrs. Smith has had a major depressive episode, major depression after her parents' divorce, which would be very important to kind of parse out through treatment and understand that a little better when she was a child. But to clarify, the clinician should, once again, as this highlights, explore further those long ago symptoms. It's interesting that she was referred to school counselor at the time because of irritability and fights with classmates. Knowledge of her parents' divorce might have helped teachers recognize that she was in a in depression, but it would not have been unusual for her to have been labeled impulsive and disruptive rather than a depressed young girl who needed help. More information about uh, the intervening course is also needed to determine whether Mrs. Smith has had uh, sufficient and persistent sad moods. So once again, this is just better understanding the different symptoms that uh, Mrs. Smith is carrying to consider an additional diagnosis of persistent depressive disorder. Persistent major depression is more common among blacks than whites, as is greater severity and disability, despite lower overall prevalence of major depression. Lower use of mental health services by African-Americans and delays in seeking treatment may contribute to illness persistence, meaning we're not seeking mental health so readily. And there's reasons why. So again, if you've listened to previous episodes, we have there's certain barriers, there's costs, there's stigmas, there's delays um, that get in the way of African-Americans seeking treatment. So once again, that's another one of these efforts is just being an advocate in mental health to saying that um, I think it's very important for us to seek mental health when it when it merits that. Um, also, make sure that you're seeking culturally competent providers, those listening to if you're looking for a profession and you're in the culture, I think it's important for us to to get into the field. And that's that's part of these efforts. So to help close some of these gaps for African-Americans that are seeking treatment and needing treatment. As it may also <clears throat> as may lower rates of antidepressant medication use. So Mrs. Smith discontinued her medication that that she tried. And it may be because she was mistrustful of the medication and her prior therapist and so it's very important to have i think this is even the last episode that we talked to have a strong therapeutic alliance meaning you need to have a good connection with your therapist that's sometimes the most important piece regardless of whatever technique or treatment that's being used if you trust your therapist that's half of the battle um, i don't think that was that connection was made first when you don't make that connection, then you start, hey, take these pills and people, you don't know them and mistrust. And then once you get, you get what you got, she drops out of treatment. She doesn't want to use the medication. And we're still where we began. Uh, Mrs. 
Smith is uh, wary of mental health professionals. Um, that's pretty, once again, typical within African-American community. We're working on these stigmas. Uh, she did not like her previous psychiatrist uh, getting into her business. Put that in quotes. Um, and the individual, may, once again, didn't seem to connect. Probably was acting more that doctor-patient model. Whereas I'm the expert and I'm, I need to tell you, you need to tell me everything without developing trust. I think it's very important to develop trust, as we said. And she did not make good eye contact with her most recent psychiatrist, who's described as a white, as white and middle aged. Differences in racial, ethnic and social economic characteristics may affect treatment, alliance and adherence. So kind of what we were just saying affects treatment. It can help or hurt it. Um, you need to have that trust. Adherence means following a treatment plan, following up with sessions, and trusting what the uh, mental health provider is saying. Mrs. Smith's outcome may depend partly on her therapist's ability to tactfully address the culturally based mistrust that is likely to affect Mrs. Smith's treatment. Tactful. And I think, you know, what, whatever, I feel like if you're a majority culture, therapist, or mental health provider, you know, tactful means you got to address that cultural piece and you got to do it in a, in a healthy way, in an assertive way, and uh, validate Mrs. Smith's mistrust of the system and maybe explore it more from her perspective, open up the conversation for her to share what some of her concerns are and maybe some ways that we can address these in a healthy, in a healthy manner. So... Well, let's end off with um, a psychodynamic considerations with treatment. Um, I think it's important because um, I, was, I found something that was pretty interesting that maybe why she has depression. Uh, I was listening to um, an individual explain some of Freud's outlook. And this is, you know, this is just extra. Um, once again, this is an orientation that I like to use within therapy. They talked about how as a child, and I thought it was important with that divorce that she may have had some anger. Depression may form in this manner. She may have had anger from that depression. I think there's from the divorce that happened with her parents. And what he explained is that children cannot express their anger outwardly sometimes towards their parents. And so what happens is that anger is turned inward towards themselves. And results in depression. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, also, so that's these are things to consider, just theories to help explain what's going on and why this individual is going about it the way that they are. Also, from the uh, P PDM two, um, they, they talk about interject interjection, and these interjective depressive patterns are characterized by harsh, punitive unrelenting self-criticisms, feelings of inferiority, worthlessness, and guilt, a sense of having failed to live up to expectations and standards, and fears of loss of approval. And I just, I see this throughout her case with her family members. Maybe it originally started with her 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 parents who divorced. Maybe she didn't leave, live, she may took that divorce as her fault. Who, never, who knows? And, you know, didn't feel like she can live up to expectations of others. And you can almost see it played back out with her, her in-laws, right? 
and her husband, who knows? Because interjection is, it refers to an unconscious process wherein one takes components of another person's identity, such as feeling, experiences, cognitive functions, and transfers them inside to themselves, making such experience part of their own psychic structure. So maybe there was, you know, some high expectations from her parents. She may didn't understand what was going Clearly, the divorce affected her in some manner because it was seen in her acting out at school. Also, self-esteem suffers badly under such onslaughts. Cognitive patterns, and that kind of goes back to the old psychodynamic idea of, and self-esteem is very important. The, the other distinction that was made is grief, that's when you lose someone, and depression are very similar when we're talking about mood and uh, the way it looks. But the biggest distinction that I'm learning that Freud made is that Depression carries a level of low self-esteem that grief doesn't. So I thought that was very important distinction there. And so we can see this is more depression because of the low self-esteem. Once again, that kind of goes back to the theory of turning that anger, anger towards herself, being mad at herself. This is lowering her self-esteem, contributing to some of the depression. So this self-esteem suffers badly under such onslaughts, cognitive patterns may include rationalized convictions of guilt, fantasies of loss or, or approval and recognition and love, and the inability to make decisions, low self-regard and suicidal ideas, which we also saw in this case. Um, individuals with strong introduction tendencies appear to experience others or the objects as punitive and judgmental and employ counteractive defense mechanisms that deny dependency and establishes autonomy and separation. We can kind of see that with her pulling away from her family, pulling away from her church and isolating herself. All these speak to the depression. So I hope this was helpful for, for you. I think uh, we definitely recommend, I think she's doing the right thing of seeking clinical treatment um, in it based on what she's presenting. And I wanted to, once again, just wanted to share a case. Let me know if you um, thought this was helpful or not. We can do some more. Uh, it's just an effort to give us some practical experience of working with individuals and what they're kind of experiencing. You can kind of see parallels in your life or others' lives as to when certain things merit mental, mental health attention from a mental health provider. So that's all I got at this time. Uh, just keep me in your prayers, keep me in your thoughts, and uh, hope all is well once again. And I will just catch you on the next go-around. Peace. You've been listening to The Skelton Report. Mark's passion is mental health, psychology, empowerment, and self-improvement. And his education and background prove that he's more than qualified to be speaking about these issues. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we hope you've picked up some useful information along the way as well. Find us now on Apple and Google Podcasts. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, hook up with Mark on Twitter and Instagram at Skelton underscore Neuro on Apple and Google podcast at The Skelton Report. To reach out with comments and questions, send an email to skeletonneuroscience at gmail.com. Check out the e-courses on Udemy by searching Mark N. Skelton and find the website at www.skeletonneurocounseling.com. <laughs> <laughs>